When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode of Commons is brought to you by Paytm. Paytm is the best way to pay all of your bills at once. To get you to see that, Paytm is giving you $10. Pay a $200 bill. Get $10 back when you download the Paytm Canada app and use the promo code COMMONS. In 2014, Canada's immigration system detained Babu Joe. Babu was put behind bars despite committing zero crimes because the Canadian government, well, they didn't really know what else to do with him. Now, there's no shortage of news articles and reports about Canada's immigration policies, but what we don't often get is an idea of what it's really like to live in a detention centre and what can lead someone to that point. By taking you through an account of life as it happened for Babu, we want to show you what it's like. In this episode, we'll go inside Canada's immigration detention system. We'll speak with Subodh Bharati, an immigration lawyer in Toronto who help us understand how the system works. And we'll get to know Babu. He'll tell us how he made it out of Gambia, his arrival to Canada, why he was stuck in prison, and what hopes he has for the future. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. This is Commons. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Paytm app gives you convenience of all of your bills in one place. Whether you're standing in line waiting for your morning coffee, grabbing a bite to eat, about to watch a show, four quick taps, and you've paid your bill. It's that simple. So I'm going to try it. I have signed up for my Paytm account. They have said your email address has been verified. They have thanked me. You're welcome, Paytm. I'm at this cute little intro screen, and it's saying I can send money to people or I can pay my bills. So let's go to my mobile. And good old Rogers shows up. All right, so I'm tapping on Rogers. It's asking me to log in with my Rogers info. Done. And voila, look, they even have the incorrect spelling of my last name, just like Rogers does. So I know this is legit. I see my bill due date and my amount owing, and I am going to tap pay now. (gasps) Did it! So when you make your first bill payment of at least $50, you will get 5% cash back with a maximum payout of 10. Just simply enter the promo code COMMONS. Hadia, before we get into Babu's story, can we try to clarify what immigration detention actually is? And what are the reasons someone could be held in detention? So I spoke with Subod Bharati, a lawyer who focuses on human rights and refugee law, um, to get a better sense of the answers to that question. Subod, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Subod, can you break down for us the reasons why someone might be detained in immigration detention? There's only three reasons why someone can be detained in immigration. The first one is to figure out what their identity is. In principle, that's understandable that we want to know who they are. If we can't figure out who they are, then there's a problem in Canada will not want to release them. But there's a secondary problem that they can become, in essence, stateless people where the country that they say they're from doesn't accept that they're from that country. Um, A lot of people who came here to Canada as permanent residents when they were um, young, weren't born in hospitals. I've had people that, you know, were born at home and they don't have proper documentation. And so they get to Canada and they have identity documents, but the country doesn't have any proof that they were born there. And so they can languish in prison. The second is that the immigration division or the CBSA believes this person is a danger to the Canadian public. And number three is that the government believes this person is a flight risk. So if they release them, they're going to run away. So because of these three reasons, a person can be kept in immigration detention, not because they're guilty of some other crime or etc. Sorry to interrupt, Hadia. I had to look this up. In Canada, some 6,251 immigrants and refugees are incarcerated in immigration detention every year. And immigration detention, according to the Canadian government, isn't supposed to be punitive. It's supposed to just be where people are held while we facilitate deportation. And for some people, that is the case. I mean, the average length of detention last year was 23 days. But for many individuals, the tension becomes very unpredictable and very uncertain. Someone will enter detention and have no idea how long they may stay there. And this is a problem that has been recognized by the United Nations, They've called on Canada to set a reasonable time limit on detention. The EU, for example, has a limit of 18 months. And there are several countries that will release you after 90 days if they can't deport you within that time. 
But unlike these countries, Canada has no maximum length of detention. Right. And when Babu sought refugee status in Canada, the refugee claim was unsuccessful and he was deemed a flight risk and was sent to prison. And he ended up staying there for nine months. So how did that happen in his case? Well, to understand how he got here, we actually need to rewind a little bit. I called up Babu and asked him about his life. How's it going, Ryan? <laughs> good, brother. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm trying to stay warm. Babu is 26 years old. He lives in Halifax. I was born in Gambia. I lived in Gambia, I would say, it was five years I was there before I left. At the time, Gambia was under the harsh rule of someone named Yaya Jame. Babu's uncle was vice president of Gambia back then, and he was framed by Yaya Jame for smuggling weapons into Europe. So my uncle got detained and put in jail, and me and my family left because um, he was coming after all of us one by one. And uh, when it came for my uncle's trial, he got poisoned and killed before he could go to trial. Babu's entire family split up and fled Gambia. England, Sweden, the U.S., Canada. It was a long journey for five-year-old Babu from that point. His mother took him to Senegal, then England, then Seattle, Washington, and they finally settled in Atlanta, Georgia in the late 90s, where he stayed until he was about 18 years old. What time of the year did you arrive in Seattle during the winter? It was like end of November, beginning of December. I remember that was my first time I seen snow. <laughs> what was that? What was that like? <laughs> well, I learned a valuable lesson that that they never play with snow with your bare hands and then go running under hot water. Oh no! Someone should have warned you, man. That's cold. <laughs> I know they should have. Lesson learned. Yeah, and I know twenty years ago is a, is a long time ago, and you were young when you moved. But what did you understand about you having to leave Gambia? What was said to you? They didn't break it down to what happened to my uncle. Yeah. I was just told that we were not safe where we were staying at and that we had to move. And I could sense the fear within everyone because everywhere we, we went through the people that were helping us knew what was going on. So what do you remember about your first days in Atlanta, in your new home? Just the the culture was different right in Africa well in Gambia I fit in the crowd like I was the popular one I was the entertainer I was the storyteller it was easy for me to go in and fit when I first went to Georgia it was different because I wasn't used to getting bullied by kids for just being different right? right I was not used to that I was not used to sounding different from others the biggest thing was just having to find a way to defend for myself, right? I, I had to adapt to that. Making friends was hard, but Babu adapts, and it gets easier for him as a teenager. My, my teenage years were actually pretty golden. Like, they were, I would say, highlights of my life, ups and downs. But that's when, like, I got accepted. I put myself into sports. It was something that I was good at. It was just natural to me. Um, my mom was an a athlete. My uncle ran in the 96 Olympics. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he represented 
Gambia, he ran the 800 meter dash. Wow. My mom ran track all her life. And yeah, so sports was just easy to me. So it seemed like things were finally going well for Babu at this point. He was doing well. I mean, Babu played football, basketball, he ran track, and he excelled in all of them and eventually became known around town as this star athlete. I remember my mom would take me grocery shopping and people would stop her and be like, oh, are you number 11? Oh, can I take a picture? And like, she was like, what's going on? <laughs> it came from me always coming home all sad and stuff to like her running into like people like that want to take a picture. When it's time to head to college, he gets a major government scholarship to play Division I football at Georgia State. And he does his first semester at college, and that's when things start to take a major turn. When he has to accept his scholarship, he has to provide documentation, and things go downhill from there. I don't know how the procedure went, but all I know is they sent us a letter one day saying that they're going to come and they would like to have uh, a proof of documentation or deportation would be would be forced. Wait, so he was living in the U.S. undocumented? Yeah, it's complicated. For a while, you know, he had been on his mother's marriage visa, but when that marriage ended, when he was around eight years old, he himself didn't have any papers. It was just nothing we can do without money. Right. You needed money to figure, even talk to a lawyer, you know, like, so it was pretty hard to figure out what to do. At the time, deportation was not an option. Gambia wasn't accepting its citizens back. There was political unrest and they weren't issuing travel documents at that time. The only option for him would have been detainment in the U.S. So you're faced with essentially two options, right? Escape and flee the U.S. or face immigration detention and possibly eventual deportation. And you chose to come to Canada. What did you What did you know about Canada at that time? To be honest, I was ignorant with my knowledge to Canada <laughs> at that point. I didn't know too much. My principal was a Canadian, and all we did was pick on him and like, a, A, like, every time you see him, be like, what's up, A? <laughs> oh, you're one of those guys, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was one of those guys, but now I am, I'm actually one of those guys that says A now. I catch myself saying A all the time. Yeah. It's actually funny. But I didn't know too much about Canada. It was kind of scary, but, like, in, in, in my mind, I just thought it was going to be a quick little thing because I thought that Canada was so easy to come and get my papers, and yeah. I'll be back with my family in no time. What's at stake at that time? I mean, if you would have stayed in the United States, you know, were you going to be deported immediately? Were you going to be detained? Were you not sure? I was definitely going to be detained immediately because when I left, I think it was a day later or two days later, they came looking for me. Wow. Yeah, so it was... Like, it was like they missed me by a hair, really. They thought my mom was lying about me not being there, so they searched the whole house. They went up in the in, in the attic, in, in the basement. They were looking like, <laughs> they were looking for a fugitive or something. The very real threat of being locked up in immigration detention in the U.S. is what drove Babu to flee to Canada. But the same thing he was trying to escape in the U.S. soon became a reality up here in Canada. Here's how that happened. 
So I lived in Cape Breton for two years before I came out to uh, seek status here. When I first came, I was scared. I didn't know. It, it was like I froze, <laughs> right? Babu went to school in Cape Breton, made some connections with the community. But two years down the road, I was cutting grass for a living and being a janitor. Like, I, I couldn't work. So, and, and, and I wanted to continue school. I wanted to get my ed- education at that point. But if I wanted to go, I would pay international fees. Right. So I searched up online for Im- Im- immigration lawyers. Me and my mom already spoke about the outcomes and the possibilities and what what could come up or whatever. Right. And she just told me to just use all my cards. So at that time, Gambia was known for its president, Yaya Jame, who was killing gays or giving them life sentences. So when I told them my story, at first, I put that I was gay and that I didn't tell them that I came from the States or anything. I just told them that I came straight from Gambia to Canada. And when it came to uh, going through with it, I just couldn't. So I came out and told them the truth. Now, I mean, this is exceptional. You know, you, you go in to try to stack the cards in your favor. You know that that Gambia has a dictator who who is known to harm, injure, or kill gay people, that if you say this, most certainly your status will be looked at favorably here in Canada. But you can't go through with a lie. You just, you decide to come clean. What made you make that decision? I don't know. I just, it was just eating. Like if I'm very spiritual and I just knew deep down inside if God, if I was walking with God, if he had my back, if he wanted me to one if he wanted me to get my citizenship, I have to be truthful. Yeah. And I couldn't go forth with it with with a lie, even though the lie would have worked. You decide to come clean and you want to be transparent about about this. How much time passes from the time you told them you were gay to till you came clean? How much like are we talking a week, a day, a month? Hours. <laughs> hours. Oh wow. It was literally hours. Like I just left there and I was going back to Cape Breton and it just ate ate me up. So you come clean and and what happens what happens next? I'll say two weeks after me turning in the real claim, like the truthful claim, I got detained. Babu was labeled a flight risk and was taken to jail. They took me straight to, to Burnside. The way that they did it, they came and got me at like 6 in the morning, 5 or 6 in the morning, didn't give me a chance to put on my shoes. It was like eight of them. So like they came in like I was a threat. When I got into Burnside, it was my first time ever going to jail. Right. When I got into Burnside, they asked me if I had any problems there, if I knew anybody. And I told them no. And they asked me... um what my charges were, and I just told them that I was just being detained under immigration. I think it's important to stop here and take note of a few things and mention exactly what Burnside is. 
Burnside is the largest prison in Nova Scotia. It's also known as the Central Nova Scotia Correctional Facility. Right. And Burnside is also very well known for numerous inmate assaults, death due to overprescription of drugs, um, being overcrowded and understaffed. The Coast, a Nova Scotia online newspaper, describes it as an understaffed, overcrowded hellhole. You know, the further and further we dug into the research for this episode, one of the things that I'm embarrassed to admit is that I didn't know is that Canada is one of the few nations that actually still detains immigrants, refugees, foreign nationals, and even Canadian permanent residents alongside convicted criminals in the nation's prisons. I had no idea this happens. D, how many immigration detention facilities are there in Canada? So we have three immigration holding centers in Canada that are tailored specifically for housing immigration detainees um, and offering a variety of services to these people. But the amount of detainees that they can accommodate is incredibly inadequate. So the Ontario Center can accommodate up to 195 detainees. The Quebec Center has an upper limit of 109. And the British Columbia Center can hold 24 And even then, they can't hold them for any longer than 48 hours. And so the detainees who are not housed in these centers are instead sent to provincial jails. And that includes medium and maximum security prisons. And one-third of immigrant detainees are held in maximum security prisons. And it should be noted that this system across Canada is also very expensive, It costs taxpayers more than $58 million a year, or roughly $250 per detainee per day. That's a lot of money. So, Subod, can you help us understand why we have people who haven't committed any criminal offenses in jail? Why is Canada holding these people in jail? Let me contrast immigration detention with criminal detention in the sense that in the criminal justice system, if someone's going to be sent to jail or detained especially in a maximum security prison, uh, there's a number of procedural safeguards based on fundamental principles that ensure that only those who are guilty are detained. Regardless of our issues with the criminal justice system, there's this idea that one must be innocent until proven guilty and that burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. We don't want innocent people in jail. If we contrast that with immigration detention, the principle behind immigration detention isn't punitive. It's not to punish people. It's solely administrative. There's only one purpose in principle, which is that you want to hold someone until you can remove them from Canada. So since it has nothing to do with punishment or guilt, then the immigration division is exempt, in essence, from these fundamental principles of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, innocent until proven guilty, because they're not really punishing anybody by principle. So because of these lack of safeguards, we end up with people being held in immigration detention for years who shouldn't be there. Babu, what do you remember about the first time you entered that jail? What were your first impressions? I was very depressed at that point. I wasn't scared or anything like that, but just being in that place puts you on edge, right? Like, it just makes you nervous, I guess you can say. Or it just builds your anxiety. Your anxiety is just always up. I was just mentally drained because I was so depressed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even want to tell my mom that I got myself into that predicament. Right. 
and I didn't know how I was going to interact with everyone else that was there. Did you meet a lot of people that were, were in a similar spot that you were in? I only met three other people that were in my position. One of them actually, I think he's still in Burnside and he went in like six months after I I went in. So he's been in there since 2015. Wow. And he's on a deportation order, the same predicament. He went through the refugee claim just like me, got denied. Now he's sitting on a deportation order and he can't get deported because his country won't issue him a travel document because it's a war-torn country. Right. The only difference with him and me is I, when I first came out here, I made a connection with the community. He doesn't have a connection with the community and his English is not good. Uh, so Ryan, Subod told me that a case like Babu's would be reviewed every 30 days while he's in detention. A man named Alvin Brown, a detainee from Jamaica, questioned the constitutionality of this process. And his case was taken all the way up to federal court. And in 2016, the federal court ruled that the current practices were constitutional because there are mechanisms that are built into the law to allow detainees to challenge their detention, i.e. these monthly reviews. But in reality, some detainees may not be able to afford access to lawyers, Some may not have enough support, familial or friends, and some are dealing with a lot of trauma, having fled from a bad situation. Here's Subot again. A fair and public hearing doesn't occur in a detention review. Typically, they're held in the prison. So if someone in criminal matter is going to bail, they'll be at a court, they'll dress them up in proper street clothes, and they'll never be shackled because the judge needs to see this person as a member of society. And if the judge is going to make a decision to detain him, then the judge should actively see that he's removing liberty from somebody. Whereas in the detention re- regime, there's no such procedure. So the person is wearing orange, they're shackled, they're in a metal room in a prison. The detention review hearing occurs in many cases in the prison. So it's already put in the head of the adjudicator that this person's a criminal and it's easier to just keep the status quo because you're not thinking of taking away somebody's liberty you're just doing what's already there and these are fundamental problems babu how slow does time go when you're on the inside slow <laughs> i spent yeah. five years in there in that in the nine months <laughs> yeah it felt like forever it really did um i had my mom to keep my spirits up high I had like a couple of people that leveled my mind down while I was just overthinking and going crazy. So how did Babu get out and why was he in there for nine months? Right. Well, this is what he told me. The whole problem was since I came in on someone else's passport, Yeah. The when I gave them my passport with my name, they said it wasn't real, right? So I had to get proof of my original birth certificate from Gambia, which t- took nine months only because we don't have a connection in that country anymore. Right. And if, if, that's, if that original birth certificate wouldn't have shown up, you'd still be inside? Yeah. So, Hadia, one condition of Babu's release from detention was that he had to sign this form essentially promising that if Canada was able to successfully deport him back to Gambia, he would return willingly and would not resist the decision. 
I did not want to go back whatsoever because at that point Yaya Jamil was still president. I just knew that if I didn't sign it, I would still be sitting in Burnside. What do you What do you remember about the day that you were released? Well, my mom, <laughs> my hero. Yeah. She scoundered up three thousand dollars to get me re- released because it was they treated me like I was getting bail. Right. So I had to put down. $3,000 to get re- released, and I had to have an, a surety. I remember just getting out and, like, just feeling like everyone was just staring at me. Yeah. I just felt like everyone was watching me. I felt like I was in there for so long. I didn't even know how to use a cell phone. I was not used to switching the, cutting the light switch on and off. I was I was not used to cutting the tap off. Like, just simple, normal, everyday things was like I had to relearn and reteach myself. When I when I got out, they got me back. Uh, Canada Border Service got me back on the plan that they had me on before where I had to come in three times a week and sign in and let them know of any change address. So till this day, I'm still doing that except now. I can call in instead of going in because I, I have a job. Right. So the day you got out, do you remember what you did? The day I got out, I went and jumped in the ocean. <laughs> wow. That must have felt good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I went to Point Pleasant Park and hopped in the ocean and cleansed all that negativity off me. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Had you thought about that moment? Did you did you plan it? Oh yeah, I I planned it out. I I made up my mind. I didn't care if it was ten feet of snow out. Yeah, freezing cold. I didn't care. I was getting in it. It felt I felt wonderful once I got out the water. Like what a beautifully symbolic moment, you know, um, of jumping into that water and purifying yourself. What is what has your situation been like since you were since you were released uh, from detention? What would you say your life has been like since then? My life's been it got its ups and downs. You know, I'm I'm still on on the come up. Really, I have a son now. Um, I have a fiance. I have my own place. Like I remember when all this was going on, I was homeless. Like <laughs> I. It was a couple of nights where I didn't even have a place to go sleep at. I, I got a steady job now, and I, I plan on going back to school in September. So, like, things have been slow, but like, it's 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 on the right path. Yeah, and you're 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 still the last four years you've been on a de- deportation order. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean? It's kind of scary for me now that I have a family here. Like, it's, yeah. It's very scary because at any minute they can, my country can issue a travel document and they can deport me back to my birthland, which is foreign to me now. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's very, it's a very scary thought. Like I try not to really think about it. Um, Yeah. So, so your hopes for the future are to stay in Canada. Yeah, my my hopes are to at least I I want Canada to be my my home. 
Right. And, and, and I guess the, is it, is it accurate to say the only reason you haven't been deported yet is because Gambia hasn't given the go ahead for that to happen? Yeah. That's the only reason. So something I learned from Subod is that the test to consider someone a danger to the public or to consider them a flight risk is extremely low for non-Canadians. I had a person who, who sole offense, criminal conviction was simple possession of weed. They spent no time in jail. Um, yet, because the Canadian government wanted to deport them to Vietnam, he spent one over one year in a maximum security prison, despite the fact that he had a wife here and he had a kid, a, a newborn, and um, that was irrelevant to them. But as soon as you put people in a maximum security prison, regardless of the, pris- uh, the principle, you are essentially punishing them. And so if you're punishing people by putting them in a maximum security where there's lockdowns, where they're, they're held, I've had people held in solitary confinement. One person was held for over two years in solitary confinement. He had, he had three showers a year for no crime. Yet they're allowed to put these people in maximum security prisons because there's no, um, at a detention hearing, there is no uh, rules of evidence, uh, the immigration division uh, typically defers, even though it's supposed to be a fair and independent tribunal, it defers to the CBSA, which is the arresting authority, about whether this person constitutes a, a danger or a flight risk. And you end up with people being held in detention for a long time. Babu, do you trust the system? No, I don't. I don't, I don't trust the people in the system at all because they judge you from what they read on paper. Right, not from who you are, right? And 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 then once that judgment is is made, that's that's it. Even if you give them a chance to get to know who you are, right? And do you think the system trusts you? No, because if, if if the system trusted me, it's been four years. They would not make me sign in three times a, a day. They would still not call me a flight risk. Right. They will not force me to call in on Christmas Day to sign in. Like, I, I, I had to call in on Christmas Day this year to sign in or I was going to face getting sent back to Burnside. Right. Because I know if I miss a day right now and don't call in, that will be a big issue because they still think that I'm going to run away. And what are your, what are your hopes for, for your son's future? I'm hoping to be here and be the best daddy I could, really, and... And just watch them grow. I worry every day about my life and my family and the road that we're going through because it's an unknown road. Like I don't, I don't know where we're heading to right now. Every step that I do try to take, it's always an obstacle there when it comes to immigration and me trying to get status in some way. It's always something, right? So that. That, that puts a lot of fear in me just because I don't know, right? Is, is there anything you might try to do over or do, do you feel like you've done the, the best you can with what you've been given here? You know, I, I ask myself this question all the time because, you know, like, I haven't seen my family since the day I left. Yeah. And I always regretted that but then again if i really think about it if i would have stayed i would have got deported yeah 
I don't think I would have changed anything because through every choice that I made and every experience that I've been through, it it made a little piece of me, right? Yeah. All that pain and the stress I was going through at that time, like I can look back at it now and just like like laugh at it. Like it was like a pinch. Like it, it, it molded me to who I am today and and I like who I am today. Yeah. Thank you, Babu. No, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. So how long has it been since he's seen his family? Well, since Babu is undocumented in Canada and his mom and sisters are undocumented in the U.S., they haven't been able to travel. So it's been about six years since he's seen his family, although, you know, they, they speak just about every day. Wow. Yeah. You know, sisters growing up without you, you know, he's called his mom his superhero. So, you know, I, I just, I can't even imagine being forced to be away from family like that. I mean, it's, it's awful. And the tragic thing is that Babu is not the only one. I asked Subod about some of the cases that he's worked on during his time as an immigration lawyer that affected him the most. And this is what he had to say. One is a person from Somalia. It was my first main case. That's what affected me the most, right? Where I came into this idea that this stuff happened, where the government was holding this person based on a criminal charge conviction for which he spent less, I think it was one day in jail, and the person pled guilty just to get out of jail. Um, there's a disconnect between the criminal justice system and the immigration system where a criminal lawyer will say, hey, just plead guilty, you can go see your kids. And a person will say, okay, I'll, I'll plead guilty um, for that reason. And they don't realize that the immigration consequences that are going to follow from this are going to be enormous. So in this case, a person pled guilty, got out of jail, and was apprehended by the CBSA put in a maximum security prison and spent five years in a maximum security prison while the CBSA tried to get him to sign a piece of paper saying he wished to go back to Somalia where there's evidence that his mom was killed, his sister was killed, his father was kidnapped and killed, his brother was killed, and he was tortured, put in a bag and and put in the water, and and all of this is documented. Um, and, And they're asking him to sign this piece of paper every month, and when he didn't sign it, they kept him in detention for five years. Um, the other case is this case from Rwanda, where a person's whole family was killed in Rwanda. He's from Burundi. His whole family was killed in the Rwandan genocide. He comes to Canada through PTSD and all this. He gets into some criminal criminality, not serious crimes, but possession of weed and um, drugs and stuff like that. Nothing seriously violent. He has mental health issues. He's put in detention. There's doctors saying that if you don't release this guy, and he has a young daughter um, whose whose mother had mental health issues as well, and he took care of the daughter with her. The doctor said, don't put him in detention. He can have a mental health breakdown. He has a mental health breakdown because he's put in detention for deportation to this place. And the decisions are, oh, well, your PTSD occurred in Burundi, so Burundi would be the best place to get it better. It's just something silly like that. And this person's placed in detention. He stops speaking. And because he's no longer communicating, um, he's put in a, in solitary confinement for two years. 
I think he had three showers when he'd get really dirty a year. He never got outside of his cell. Um, and then because he wasn't speaking, they did electroshock therapy on him. Finally, after two years, I got him released and now he's speaking. And so these are the two cases that, you know, out of the others that, that really shook me about, you know, I used to think Canada's such an amazing country. I still do, but there's these fundamental issues that, that when I realize this is what occurs, it really changes the way I practice law. Well, it certainly changes the way I think about Canada, hearing those stories. What about you, Ryan? Well, I've already always thought a certain way (laughs) about Canada, but this definitely makes it worse. So we know we have a problem. I mean, there's evidence that our treatment of detainees violates international law, as well as just basic human decency. So what happens now? Exactly. That's the big question. Where do we go from here? Well, I think there is greater public awareness of the issue. Um, so the Abdul Abdi case has brought a lot of attention to uh, the treatment of detainees. Um, we haven't even had enough time to get into the treatment of children in this system. Right. I think that you know we have to judge a country by how it treats those who are the most marginalized. And we have United Nations obligations to live up to that we are not. Right. And it shouldn't land on the immigration detainees to, you know, uh, to take action and, 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 t- and to take this sort of fight in their own hands. Like in, in 2013, you know, in, in a jail inside of Lindsay, Ontario, you know, 190 something immigration detainees go on a hunger strike just to draw attention to, to end the practice of putting them inside maximum security jails. It shouldn't come to a hunger strike. Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale says that he and the government are going to put $138 million into improving Canada's immigration detention centers, which sounds promising, but frankly can't happen quickly enough. They are saying that they are going to, in quotes, enhance alternatives to detention, end quote, which hopefully means stop putting people in jail. If you're listening to this and you made it to the end of this episode and you're as infuriated as us, that's a good thing. There are ways to take action. You can join the fight, join the movement by visiting endimmigrationdetention.com. Continue being loud, use your voice, and remember, we create the political will in this country. I would like to end by acknowledging all of those people out there organizing, being loud, and showing love to all those that are trying to start anew inside this country. We see you, we respect you, and we thank you. That's our Commons episode for this week. I'm Ryan McMahon. And I'm Hadia Rodrigue. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to hear your feedback about this episode. If you have feedback for us, or if you just want to rant about politics, record a voice memo and feel free to send it to our producer, abby at canadalandshow.com. This episode is produced by Abby Madon. Our music is produced by Nathan Burley. If you want to get at us, find us online. And if you like what we do, please support us. This 
This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 